Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You're listening to The Race Car on Sin. 19.7 every Sunday at 3 p.m. We talk politics, current affairs, pop culture with a twist. Yes, you're listening to The Race Guard on Sin 90.7 FM, and I'm your host, Ahmed Yusuf, for this afternoon show. And before we begin, uh, we'll, be do- we'll be doing an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge uh, the Kulin people as the owners of the land on which we meet, and we pay our respects to their elders, both past and present. This land was never ceded, and the process of colonization, occupation, incarceration, genocide that began over two centuries ago continue to this day. You're listening to our one-hour show where we talk politics, current affairs, and popular culture with a little bit of a twist. Um, and coming up on this week's show, we'll be talking Emmys and Viola Davis' iconic speech. Um, discuss Chris Brown and the politics of the campaign to stop him from coming to Australian shores and feature the idea of the model, minority. And with me to take you through this week's show is... Poppy Perot. And... Uh, always, uh, Amina. Yes, I don't know why I said always, but anyway, uh, moving <laughs> on, um, we're going to be, uh, um, we're going to getting to a few of today's talking points, and, um, we've been, we've been going through something, uh, we've been going through a discussion every week on, on certain issues that we feel that need to be spoken about, that haven't been spoken about in, I guess, everyday discussion. And this week we thought about talking about, yes, what does what is white splaining? Have you ever heard the term? What do you think the term means? Right now we're going to be playing a grab. Uh, hold on for a moment. Yes, I have it right here. We're going to play grab and um and get an explanation from um. A guest on Panorama's uh, since current affairs um, and news show, um, and which was Luke Michaels's package he did earlier this week discussing what is white splaining. So here is the explanation that he found, and we'll be going coming back after the grab and discussing it more in depth. Splaining has also led to the creation of similar phrases, with white splaining a term that has been in the news lately. Student Trent Jans is passionate about racial issues in Australia and abroad and explained the term to Panorama. White splaining essentially is when white people, they decide and dictate what people of colour can consider racist or not racist. So they decide whether something, whether someone can take offence to something or not due to racism. Jans thinks the term is useful to understand some of the racial issues facing society. I think the term is definitely useful. Like, it gives us a good way to conceptualise the issues that come with a lot of racism. The society that we live in and a lot of societies around the world, like America, have been built on a 
specific kind of hierarchy that always starts with their, I suppose, indigenous at the bottom, people of colour under that, and then so on and so forth until white people sitting on the top of this pyramid scheme. And I suppose this hierarchy supports the idea that white people know the most about everything, including race issues, which is, in fact, a big part of the problem. And the fact that it's getting addressed is good. And personally, I'm Sri Lankan, and so... I live in Australia, obviously, and I've encountered a lot of people who've decided... Like, even earlier today, I was telling someone I was coming to do this quick interview with you, and I said white-splaining, because that's what it's called, and they started arguing with me about why it was called white-splaining and that he should be able to take offence to it, whereas there are issues, other things like people white people being able to say the n-word because you know black people are able to say it and that kind of thing and so i think it's definitely very common in our society white planning becoming a thing and i think giving a word to that and giving us a way to like i said earlier conceptualize the problem is very good yes giving a word to the thing that we've been feeling and thinking about is good. So, Amina, what do you think about that? Do you think finding words to describe things that were discussed on that past package is important for our terminology to say that is that and pinpoint it to a word? I think it is really important because if we don't have if we don't have a word for it, it's like as if those feelings and emotions don't exist or they're not validated, and that's very dangerous because then you start. You know, you start feeling this is all in your head, and I think that's quite dangerous. I think we're going into borderline gaslighting, where people can actually use the fact that there's no word to describe your feelings, to describe the phenomena that you're going through and experiencing, and to say that you're sorry for the ableism, but basically to say that you're crazy and that you're making this up. So yeah, definitely, I, I agree. I think it's important that we should have these terms. What about you, Poppy? Have you ever experienced, I guess, a time when someone's been explaining something to you in a patronizing way and you've been lost for words to use to, to pinpoint what it is. Say, for example, you're discussing a situation where you felt racially vilified and experienced racism and a white person's explaining it to you. Oh, definitely. I mean, I don't think I've ever used the term white-splaining as a whole, but I think it's very similar to the concept of mansplaining when um, you know, men talk down to women on issues that regard women. And I, I can boil it down to the fact it's speaking over somebody's experience, especially somebody's lived experience. And as a person of colour, when you're trying to explain something that you, you know, it, it's part of your identity, it's something that is, affects you your entire life, and somebody completely dismisses it and has to have, like, and has to have their, have their two cents. I think in a lot of cases, like, white people kind of just need to back down a little and just listen. I mean, they may not understand the concept of what they're saying, they may not agree with it, but backing down and actually listening avoids white splaining as a whole. Um, don't forget you're listening to Sin 90.7 FM and we are The Race Card. And uh, to get involved, you can text in on 0427 uh, 0427 Twitter or tweet us using the hashtag, uh, tweet us using our Twitter handle at The Race Card. We've just hit over 60 followers. So remember, you... You help us get to a hundred, you know, we can we can help you, you help us and we're giving you this and I guess it's only fair, is it? I don't know. This is Amir Rahman and you're listening to the race card. 
Yes, you're listening to The Race Card on Sin 90.7. And uh, we're going to be moving on to our segment, The Week That Was, and where we highlight the most you know, interesting things that happened during the week. And um, earlier this week, we, we saw Viola Davis become the first African-American woman to win an Emmy for Best Lead Actress. She talked about the opportunity... <coughs> Uh, the, uh, the lack of opportunity, rather, for women of color in the acting industry, um, and 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 citing the the thing that separates women of color from anyone else is opportunity. So uh, we're going to be playing what she said and and hear Viola Davis's speech. In my mind, I see a line. And over that line, I see green fields and lovely flowers and beautiful white women with their arms stretched out to me over that line. But I can't seem to get there, no how. I can't seem to get over that line. That was Harriet Tubman in the 1800s. And let me tell you something. The only thing that separates women of color from anyone else is opportunity. That was Viola Davis speaking earlier this week. Um, and, and yeah, some of the... She, she mentioned opportunity. She mentioned you can't write roles for, 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 for things that aren't there. That we can't have the capacity to, I guess... Um, put out interesting characters that are not written about. So, so I mean, what did you think about you know, her speech? I think, firstly, it's amazing that on a mainstream platform, Viola Davis was able to talk about a structural fallacy. Um, usually when you talk about acceptance speeches, it's very um, a bit hit and miss sometimes. It's just about thinking and stuff. And she used that opportunity to talk about, um, again, a structural fallacy, which I think is incredible, um, using the words of the late Harriet Tubman, who's incredible, talking about, you know, things like opportunity and the line, not being able to get over it. I think it all speaks to the experiences of a lot of women of color. It is not that they haven't won because they were not good. It's because they are roles that are written. They're just not available. You know, and we're also talking about winning best lead actress. How many women of color are lead actresses? You know, a lot of them are just on the side. A lot of them are just, you know, sidekicks or props or whatever. So to be able to be cast into a role where you actually have center stage and then to win it, that's a whole different ballgame. You know, that's a set of events. Like, I think to even have a woman of color or even just black women as, um, you know, the center character, that's very rare, let alone to win it. So that's an incredible, incredible feat. Um, again, it's not because there's no woman of color who's good enough, but rather... The opportunity does not present itself. Having said that, it allows for a conversation starter to talk about things like this. And of course, people come at Viola Davis. I think someone mentioned that all women are belittled. <laughs> Please. White women are not. They, I mean, all women are belittled, but we don't experience that belittlement, so to speak, in the same way. So there's a difference, obviously. And I think um, we, we spoke earlier to uh, Francesca Ramsey, M MTV Dakota's host, um, about this um, very issue, and she describes and, and explains a lot of what you just said, and and I, I guess one of the things you, you touched on, I think, and and what Viola touched on in her speech, is that her her wouldn't be available. She would not be winning that lead actress if not for people like Shonda Rhimes. 
without Shonda, who who made her the lead, who's made um, um, Kerry Washington the lead in Scandal, and, and a number of others, and putting uh, and centering, I guess, um, that diversity as a as a as a thing that she wants to look for, and I think um, uh, Francesca Ramsey will uh, shed more light than I uh, on on the issue. So here's what I spoke to Francesca earlier in the week, and here's what she had to say. Had a very impressional speech during the week, um, and that came a few weeks bef- after Matt Damon said and spoke about diversity. Um, right. So, what do you think? What do you think is the significance of Viola Davis? And she mentioned Shonda Rhimes and her kind of um, creating a space for diverse women um, and diverse characters to be on screen. How significant is that? I mean, it's huge. I mean, it's so funny because I remember a few months ago, there was a New York Times article and it was talking about Shonda Rhimes' reach and they, for some reason, decided to categorize her characters as angry black women, which they are not angry black women at all. But it was a a telling moment of how people view black women in media and unfortunately a lot of times we are seen as these very one-dimensional yelling drink throwing super sexual you know caricatures rather than real complex people and Shonda Rhimes has really done an amazing job of showing the complexities of a black woman in a professional environment that has all of these different aspects to her that, you know, she's a wife, but she's also a career woman and she's also a teacher and she's also a lawyer and, you know, and sometimes she's scared and sometimes she's upset and other times she's vulnerable. And so her characters just have a lot of range and, and complexity. It's, it's taken a while to get that diversity on screen. Um, especially when a lot of people say we're in a post-racial society and, and, and all that rhetoric. Why do you think, what do you think is holding back the diversity on screen, um, I guess in, in a more global sense? I mean, I think that the gatekeepers are still largely straight white men. And so when people get opportunities to enter the entertainment field, they are generally giving those opportunities to people that look like them. And this week, um, a young woman by the name of, her name is Rita Cheyenne, I think, or Shinnery. She wrote a really great article on Medium about the lack of diversity at UCB, which is the Upright Citizens Brigade um, Improv Theater and that is where almost everybody in SNL comes from UCB. And then there's tons of people in comedy and writing and late night that have come out of UCB. And it is a very white um, network there. And a lot of that has to do with who can afford to take $300 improv classes, who can sacrifice the time to take a four-hour class once a week for eight weeks you know these opportunities you know are what um viola viola davis spoke to in her speech is that these are opportunities that 
oftentimes people of color do not have. And so when it comes to, you know, getting that unpaid internship at SNL, that unfortunately is largely going to be people who have the resources to take an unpaid internship. And historically, those are not people of color that are getting those opportunities or have that financial luxury to take unpaid internship. I remember you talking about having to play cartridges in, in certain, um, whether it be auditions or, or, or getting the getting the acting gig. How prevalent do you think that is? It's very prevalent. I mean, it's, it's funny because I just started watching Project Greenlight, um, and the movie that Effie was talking about, I read something, I don't know if it was the same film, but I read something very similar where the only person of color in the film is a black female prostitute. And the film opens with her having sex with some guy in an alley. And I remember getting called in for this and reading the breakdown and thinking, well, first of all, the only thing I have in common with this character is that she's black. She was described as in her forties and heavy set and voluptuous and covered in tattoos. And I'm thinking this does not look like me or sound like me. And then on top of that it is a very stereotypical, you know, the only black character in the film is a prostitute. And needless to say, I did not audition for the film. Why do you think people are feeling, um, I guess, um, hurt or what have you with with Viola Davis talking about giving more opportunities to, to women of color and, and writing diverse um, characters? <clears throat> I think I think for a lot of people, especially liberal white people, the idea of being told that they need to do more or they're not doing enough um, or they're doing something wrong is very upsetting to them. And in the instance of Nancy Lee Grant, you know, I think that in her mind she said, well, it needs to be about all women. And I think a lot of times what happens is when people of color or black people want to focus in on issues that are specific to them, a lot of times people – believe that that means that they are somehow being excluded or that's somehow unfair. And we saw that with, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement where there have been people saying, no, 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 but it's all lives. And it's not about everyone. It is a specific issue about Black people. So I think that that's the same case here, that when some people hear people of color or women of color or Black people they're so hypersensitive to talking about race that they assume that focusing on issues that are specific to one group of people are somehow unfair or exclusionary to white people or the majority. And, and you see the same thing when we talk about LGBT issues. Every once in a while, there'll be a straight person who says, well, that's not fair. I'm being left out for women like Nancy Lee Gran and for white people that objected to Viola's speech, they're not used to not being the center of attention or the focus. And for them, that makes them uncomfortable. And I think that's all the more reason that we need to make sure that we remind people that, yes, there are lots of women's issues, but then there are women of color issues and there are black women issues that don't apply to everyone. I'm Gary Foley, and you're listening to The Race Card. Yes, you're listening to The Race Gun, and that was Francesca Ramsey talking to us 
about <coughs> Viola Davis's speech and the significance of it and, and, and a whole bunch of other issues. So you can find Francesca on Twitter at the handle Cheska Lee. Uh, she's a very good follow. And, and, and now we're going to move on to our next discussion point. Yes, that's Poppy putting on her headphones and getting ready. Um, now we're we're going to be talking this week. Vox made it made a clip exploring racial bias in film, um, from analog to digital photography, and has a history of favoriting lighter skin tones. So, so Poppy, I'll let you take this one away. No worries. So I saw the clip today and I've been working as a freelance photographer for a couple of years now and I've mostly been self-taught. I've had a bit of um, study at uni for it, but nothing too complex, but I think I'd like to further it later. Anyway, that's enough about me. But um, I found that, you know, through since film has changed... Um, the digital processes are adapting to, you know, different skin tones in photography. And I think photographers, no matter what you work in, what type of photography you do, whether that be wedding photos, family or event, um, being able to photograph and, like, and alter different skin tones, that's extremely important because I've had so many times, like, I take photographs at uni events where, say, there will be a subject with a very dark skin tone and so a subject with a really light skin tone, and editi- like editing in post-production is very hard because you want to make sure that all, this, all the subjects are getting equal representation, getting a nice photo, but sometimes a subject will just have, you know, someone will be too bright or someone will be too light, and it, like, it happens constantly, and I feel with the current way photography is going, filters and um, easier editing processes kind of overlook the little nuances and the little um, bits, the differences that we have in skin tones in photography, and so I think, like, going back to editing things manually, that's kind of tackling it. Yeah, have we put on the clip now? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, um, it's a really long, it's a long piece, but um, I'd recommend watching the entire thing because obviously it's showing um, a lot of imagery that we can't really transfer over radio. My two separate but equal light meters allow me to capture the pastiest whites and the darkiest darks. You deserve to have those memories captured by a true professional. Not ruined by some hack who can't accommodate different skin tones. The fact is there is still a cultural bias towards lighter skin, certainly in how we use technology and sometimes within the technology itself. Technology should be the ultimate equalizer. It should serve everyone's needs without an inherent bias. If a child is born into a society where all of the range of skin tones is the obvious norm. Yes, you're listening to The Race Cut on Scene 90.7. That was the grab that talked about lighter skin tones being more favorited, favorable to cameras. So, yeah, go on. Yeah, um, I found that, like, through you know, my own photography photographing a wide array of subjects who have different skin tones because it's not just like saying that like in people with darker skin there's so many so many different hues and so many varieties of skin that you'd actually need to like look at a wide spectrum of um of colors and I think like um I know it in certain photography courses they really do teach you how to accommodate for everybody and um I found the best photographers that I've met are ones who are you know who are very willing to and very excited to interview I mean to, to photograph to photograph people from like who like, who may look like you know who may they don't necessarily see um and it and it teaches like it, it teaches them and it teaches like people as a whole because I feel like there are so many like you pro- do you get it too Amina like so many times where there's been a photo of you where you've been a bit washed out or um, you know like looking a bit lackluster 
Yeah, interestingly, when I was young, I used to do beauty pageants, you know, as a oh child. Yeah, so whenever they used to take my photo, um, I used to look really bad. Um, I used to look a bit strange, and everyone else would look nicer. Um, and for a very long time, I just thought that maybe it's just me lacking the aesthetics. I didn't realize that it could be a technology issue. Yeah, definitely, and I, I feel with lighter skin tones, there's definitely a lot more red, like reddish undertones, but... Um, say people with brown and d- darker skin, there's so many different, um, like, yellow, red, even green undertones. And, like, looking through, if you go into, f- like, photographic software, you really have to try and, like, sort of see, see the layers because, like, it changes, like, it changes things drastically, to, like, you know, I guess, like, depending on how, like, how you want someone to look. But um, I think, like, uh, you know, if photographers are more, like, are willing to actually... Yeah, photograph different people and see that there are these differences and cater to the market. And like as the like the technology is developing, we will see a change in this. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hopefully, uh, we're going to be taking a quick music break and we're going to be listening to... I don't know, I just don't date white guys, which is really weird, but like, it's just like... It's not necessarily a decision I made. It's just something that just sort of came and, like, I've noticed a pattern, I guess. <laughs> um, do you think the pattern is, I don't know, like, a good, a good thing for you? It's worked in your favour? Yeah, it's, it's worked in my favour, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, are you fascinated with Uh, I like the Australian people here. They're really nice. Yeah, yeah, I like the Australian people. But maybe that's because they also actually migrated mostly from Europe. So, yeah, there's a bit of connection already there. Not most people have, like, grandparents come from Europe and stuff. They have something more to talk about. Do you have particular preferences of certain culture groups over others? Um, yeah, I think so, yeah. (laughs) What 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 are they if you feel comfortable with? Uh, I feel a bit more comfortable around Europe, people from Europe or Aussie people, yeah. Or if they at least speak properly English or, yeah, if they look Asian but they they are from Europe or their parents are European or Aussie, then it's a bit bit more comfortable. (laughs) What kind of thing we have to consider whenever we want to become a relationship first? Uh, I don't believe in religion, but anyway, I mean that the background of the religion is important because, for example, a Muslim cannot become friends with a Jewish. Okay, so I don't believe in religions, but anyway, but it has an effect. The other thing is, the, one of them is religion, the other one is the nationality. For example, an Iranian cannot... Uh, there are a lot of cases, but you know, it's rare, but you know... Actually, so the nationality, for example, an Iranian cannot uh, marry to, for example, I don't know, maybe Chinese. So they have some conflict. So I think two things that I wish. Given a colors, knowledge is power. You know what they say? Knowledge is. Knowledge is power. You know what they say? And you're listening to Sin 90.7 FM and we are the race card to steer you through the most thought-provoking incidents, stories, and things that happen 
in the past week. We're on our week that was segment, and this week GetUp have joined forces with Collective Shout to restrict Chris Brown's access into Australia. And Amina, what have you thought about um, the response to to Chris Brown being said to not come to Australian shores to be away from the borders? The should I call them sovereign borders of Australia? I have a lot of thoughts about that, and there's a lot of things that we need to unpack when we talk about this particular issue, which is an ongoing one as well. Firstly, misogyny is inexcusable. Domestic violence is inexcusable. It's no one people or culture's monopoly by any means. And this is not to excuse the actions of Floyd Mayweather, Chris Brown, and the like, but to address the underpinnings of such petitions and such policies. By evoking the language and use of border control, such as the cancelling or denying of visas to enter Australia, we affirm several phenomena. Centering whiteness as the authority, as the gatekeeper, and this goes in question and challenged under the guise of addressing domestic violence and misogyny, who comes in and out of Australia, essentially. By reaffirming that men of color are inherently misogynistic, these policies affirm the prevailing stereotypes of the dangers of black and brown men, which leads to social acceptance of profiling and policing and the like. And this is the same mentality that is used to oppress men of color by virtue of their threat to white womanhood, but also the same rhetoric um, used for colonization, interestingly. Did you have any thoughts? Oh, I've had many thoughts. This, um, I guess this stems for me, this kind of like hyper-masculinized idea of, of black uh, malehood and, 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 and manhood and this idea that um, these, uh, these white women are going in force to stop this very scary black man from entering the country. And it's it, for me, it's just very interesting with Collective Shout who've, I guess, targeted, um, I think, Kanye West, um, Chris Brown now, Snoop Dogg, um, Tyler the Creator, and yeah, so a lot of black men. Um, and obviously, they, they, they've also um, targeted white men, but those white men involved uh, are people like Eminem who have graphically discussed um, hurting and physically hurting and has previous, who was actually physically harmed his wife and has put that out on multiple and multiple songs and, and layers and everything like that. So I just wonder if there's a, a an underlying and underseeing, uh, see being kind of like um, th- fear of, of, of blackness when it comes to this petition. And, and, th- and that really worries me because then we have... Um, if you do speak out on this, for example, um, you might be, and, and you question the motives, um, people who discuss this are, are saying, are you promoting misogyny? Are you promoting right. domestic violence? And, and that becomes this, this, this own discussion about, um, you were talking about it last week, Mac feminism. Right, and I think it's important to note, like, as you were saying. Uh, and also... Yeah. Can you yeah. discuss what Mac feminism, what <laughs> Mac feminism is? Okay, so Mac feminism is essentially white feminism, but the the term um, I have actually come across, I came, I came across it through an article written by Farah Ablaziz Alsawil, and she's incredible. She talked about the um, shortcomings of white feminism and how it's not relatable to women of color. And so coming back to this issue of um, domestic violence and preventing it through border control and particularly targeting black men, it's interesting because... You know what? They're not even letting the black men in, right? Um, however, Julian Blanc, who came in last year with his team, he came in. We had to, he had to be chased out. So you know what I mean? So even when white men are 
you know, subject to this kind of visa denial and visa cancellation. They're not, it's not done so at a distance. It's something that has to be actively pursued, not something that is assumed, right? Um, I was there at the protest actually last year, and it was incredible how, in spite of so many venue cancellations, um, the Julian Blanc team were still, still able to get into a boat. And I was so angry at that point. I was screaming at the police that if this man inside teaching how to, you know, strangle women to pick them up was a black or brown man, he would be a terrorist and he would be in prison. Like, he wouldn't even be able to get into that boat. And I was screaming it so loud. I, I, I don't know how they kept their cool and I don't know how I was kind of okay at the end of it. But, yeah, that just made me really uncomfortable and very angry. And also the myth of the white patriarchy, using white womanhood to oppress Bach, that's something that also um, highlights to me the double cons- the double standard of concern, how it's not really white womanhood that it concerns them, but rather using the threatening masculinity, as you said, of black men. Um, but ta- going back to dub- the double standard of concern, there have been cuts to domestic violence services. So if that was a prime concern, then we would obviously you know, want to address that. We wouldn't cut that funding instead of denying visas. Um, and also the lack of multicultural translation services, and yet we're talking about women of color needing to be saved but from their own men, which is a kind of rhetoric, again, used to justify colonization of the past and present invasion intervention, um, such as the war on terror. And by that logic, do we deport all domestic abusers in this country? And also the Northern Territory intervention was, was primarily this idea that... Um, uh, indigenous people, indigenous women and children need to be saved by their own, um, from their own men, and which later ended up being um, a fallacy. And this idea that, and, and the thing is, uh, like you, I think you mentioned this earlier, that um, these issues are not segmented and specific to any any kind of um, ethnic mind, ethnic uh, group or, or, or racial racial group or anything like that. These these are issues that are affecting every single person um we're talking when we talk about patriarchy there's no there's no specific patriarchy that um that that affects um th- that doesn't affect say for example white communities or anglo-australian communities that don't affect other minority groups it's 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 um it's a fallacy that and, and through that we we're othering and you you mentioned this comes from history of, of colonialism potentially this is a form of neocolonialism yeah for sure uh, we're going to be taking a break. We'll be back with our feature um, on model minority. What do you think the model minority is? Uh, we'll be back um, after the break. Do you um, have you heard of the term white privilege? White privilege? No, not really. What do you think it means? I wouldn't even know, no. What's Haven't got a clue. Don't know. Seriously. Privilege means being able to uh, go where you want without fear of being attacked. Um, or, like, persecuted for how you look. Yeah. Hey. Alright, so... No, five seconds. Five seconds, good for it. Alright, so... What does the term white privilege mean to you? Yeah. What does what? White privilege. Uh, there is not such a thing, man. Not for me. Not for you? No, man. We are all the same. That's uh, all. We, blood is red. We are all the same. All brothers. <laughs> what does the term white privilege mean to you? Uh, well, privilege for white people, I guess. Yeah, so 
Is this like racism kind of stuff? What does it include? Just off your head. Oh, I guess. Centrelink. What privilege? I guess is the kind of um, specialty or privileges that the white people have here. I mean, we are talking about the local white Australian. They're having, you know, having access to welfare, housing, and everything that is um, being state provided. I assume. What does the term white privilege mean to you? Um. Wow, that's a that's a pretty hard hitting question. Um, I suppose white privilege is kind of a monopoly of power and ideas when it comes to things like business, politics, government, media, uh, even things like the police and the military, dominated by people who all have uh, a collective set of assumptions that never get tested by the people around them. Listening to the race card on Sin 90.7 FM and we're going into our featured discussion this week which is the model minority. Is it a myth? What is it? And Amina, tell us what is the model minority for people that have never heard the, the term? Well, the model minority myth is a concept, well, it is a myth, firstly, but it's also a concept often used to negate the nerd, the need, sorry, not nerd, for affirmative action, equal opportunity policies, um, and deny racism exists. That's pretty much what it is. And uh, recently, a White uh, House representative in the States, Kiran Ahuja, spoke about it on on, um, on a television program in the States. So here is how she described what she thought um, the model minority is and, and how, I guess, damaging it is also. So I think a, a big part of that is uh, uh, recognizing that um, there is a, an interesting struggle taking place with the Asian American Pacific Islander community in many ways battling against positive stereotypes. Yeah. So um, dispelling the myth, if you will, right. and, and breaking down some of those sometimes uh, perceived, sometimes real stereotypes mm -hmm. out there. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, to just kind of probably simplify it is, you know, Asian Americans are healthy, wealthy, and wise, like all of them. And I think that that's um, a, a misconception, one that can be very harmful for many communities who do struggle every day with poverty, uh, with accessing um, health services, sure. uh, with um, being able to uh, put their children through school, those type of things. And Yes, that was Kiran Ahuja from the White House, um, representative for um, Asian and Pacific Islanders in America. And even though this is not American, uh, this is American, not Australian, the um, narratives kind of intersect. And this idea that um, we're looking for a model minority, and I guess you can you can talk more about this. Yeah, sure. Um, I actually had a conversation with Lee Incognita. Um, sometimes this week, and let's just play that. The model minority myth is, to borrow the words of Samuel Musius and Peter Kian, is the notion that a minority group achieve universal and unparalleled academic and occupational success. Although this seems relatively harmless, it is associated with negative ramifications, such as delegitimizing equal opportunities and policies. To explore and unpack this further, I'm speaking to Leah Incognita, 
a Shanghai-born, Melbourne-based cultural commentator, media maker, and poet provocateur, whose work focuses on marginalization and resistance. Leah's work has appeared on airwaves, stages, and pages, including Overland, The Guardian, and Melbourne Poetry Map. Leah, welcome to the race card. Thanks for having me. All right, Leah. Let's tackle this head first. What is the model minority myth, and how does it work? Uh, so the model minority myth, uh, I hear about it usually in relation to uh, the U.S., but here it's been talked about uh, more in terms of the bamboo ceiling as well, uh, which the Race Discrimination Commissioner Tim Sulpamasan has written about. Uh, it's often used in relation to Asian, both East Asian and South Asian uh, groups, um, basically. It, uh, often it's looking at the fact that those uh, groups have achieved um, some success in terms of uh, academia, employment, um, and, if, and some other fields. Uh, and it's often used to show that, you know, these minorities, um, you know, of the, these migrant groups arrive uh, and achieve some success to prove that that equal opportunity does exist. And in the US, I think that this myth is often used to sort of pit um, Asian migrants against uh, black Americans to show that, you know, um, basically as as, uh, as a thing that demonstrates that uh, white America is not racist because, you know, there are, say, Asians getting into universities um, and who aren't, uh, say, reliant on welfare payments. So that's often used as something to uh, show that affirmative action isn't necessary, that the, there's no problem with the system, and that, um, you know, that hard work, basically, you know, you will be able to achieve through hard work. Right, and speaking of which, how does this further lateral violence between minority groups here in Australia? Yeah, so I think it, um, it it's sort of starting to... You do see it a little bit in Australia. I think it furthers lateral violence by dividing people of colour against each other, um, and it also stereotypes, you know, um, all minority groups. So uh, it stereotypes groups who uh, aren't, whether model minority myth isn't applied to them by suggesting that they're not hardworking, um, and it also for the groups that um, that are seen as the model minority, even though it's seen as uh, in some ways like a positive stereotype, um, it's used to show that those groups are you know, not um, experiencing racial discrimination and injustice. It uh, sort of collapses a lot of the experiences of those groups to show that um, you know, basically everything is okay, the system is working, and, um, and it's used to divide those groups against each other. Um, I think even in relation to, uh, to say, you know, the idea of, um, you know, Asian migrants being successful in Australia, that's, um, that really doesn't, uh, take account of all of the ways that racial discrimination still exists and is experienced quite violently by Asians, um, not only in, you know, sort of over uh, physical violence um, that international students have experienced, both South Asian and East Asian and Southeast Asian students, um, but also things like the fact that, um, you know, these groups in Australia are still, um, do still experience 
economic disadvantage uh, and racialized policing and things that are um, are not often associated with an Asian model minority stereotype. So in New South Wales, for example, there is still a dedicated um, Asian crime squad, um, you know, that is dedicated to policing and perhaps over-policing Asian gangs. Um, so there are a lot of things that contradict that notion, but... Uh, but that sort of are erased through that stereotype. Right. And so when you run us by some of these harmful examples of how, sorry, not harmful, yeah, harmful examples of the model minority myth, um, how does this further white supremacy? Uh, well, like, I think the, the most um, obvious way that the model minority myth is used is in relation to education, particularly tertiary education. Um, so I think in Australia it actually hasn't become that prevalent an idea yet except in relation to education. So you, what you would see is, for example, at um, selective entry high schools like in Melbourne, Macrob and Melbourne High, um, you know, people talk about the fact that there are a lot of students of um, Chinese, Indian, Vietnamese, um, Sri Lankan, you know, background um, in those schools. Um, and that you know, both creates particular pressures and uh, on those students, stereotypes about um, what kind of abilities they have. Often it's uh, an idea that they're really good at rote learning but um, not creative pursuits, that, that um, Asian students aren't well-rounded, that they're not innovative. Um, but also uh, that's used to then argue against affirmative action um, on the basis of racial injustice for... Um, any students, but particularly, um, I think, probably more likely um, Aboriginal students um, and other groups. So then, you know, that's that's used to uh, sort of argue against um, against uh, equity and diversity policies, um, both in high school and universities. I'm Francesca Ramsey, and you're listening to The Race Card. Yes, you're listening to The Race Card on Sin 90.7 FM, and that was Leah Incognita giving us um, some information on the model minority and the damaging aspects of it. Um, and um, Amina, um, some of the things she, she mentioned with particularly the crime squad, particularly for Asian gangs and to police and, and to racialize police, Asians in, in New South Wales, for example, still happens, but for some reason we don't associate um, police brutality or police injustice with with Asian people. Right. So, you know, again, when we talk about stereotypes, it comes from a particular place. So when we talk about the model minority myth that Asians are so successful, I kind of want to exp- explore where that idea comes from. It comes from this idea that perhaps Asians are meek, they're demure, they're docile, and therefore they're complicit they're to the system. They're submissive and these, these ideas, yeah. Yeah, so basically, even though the reality is very different for a lot of Asian Australians, for example, and as a result, a lot of these issues, for example, as the policing and stuff, they're not addressed because it just it does not occur into the psyche of society, it does not occur into the thought process that this is an issue for this for these people. Definitely. Um, you're listening to Sin uh, Sin on 90.7 FM, and we have the Rose Cut. And don't forget, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at 
the race card. Um, and I think we're almost about done for this week's show. And um, thank you for my co-host for helping out in putting it all together to steering the ship and, and making sure everything is in place. Uh, thank you, Amina. Yep. Thank you for listening, everybody. And thank you. That's from, a, that, from Poppy. <laughs> that's Poppy tweeting away and, and being our social media reporter for this uh, for this week. Did we get any tweets? Actually, don't mention. No, we probably didn't. And I don't want to. See, now it's awkward because I mentioned it and we didn't get any tweets. But anyway, tweet us at the race card and then you get mentioned on the show. Wouldn't you want to get mentioned? I think I would want to get mentioned. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, you've been listening to the race card on C90.7. And that's our show for this week. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget you can listen to the show on iTunes. Um, searching, searching the, searching the, um, the show on the race card. Um, you can find us on the podcast Republic app for Android users, um, searching the race card as well. And you can find us on Twitter, as I said, the race card and also on Mixcloud. Find us using mixcloud.com forward slash Ahmed Yusuf 10. And yeah, you can get all the goodness of the race card. And also find, like us, like our Facebook page, search the race card on Facebook and you'll find our page and get all the updates on when you can listen to our show. That's us for this week and goodbye. This is Amina. This is Poppy. And this is me saying goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.